Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. It's a really, really strange story, actually. So I was, uh, I was in Istanbul, where I live, and I was looking for Iranians who had escaped. I met this guy, Sajad Khorakami, who is this amazing journalist. We got talking, and he mentioned that he was the guy who had broken the story about Masa Amini's detention, and that he was still in contact with and had a lot of detail about exactly what had happened around her death. So I said, let's work together. That story began in September last year, when Sajad Khodakarami, an Iranian journalist who'd recently left the country, saw a post on social media about a woman who'd been brought to a hospital in the capital, Tehran. From that, he realised... There's something happening here. A woman's been taken into the hospital. She'd been hurt. She'd collapsed while she was under the care of the Iranian morality police after she'd been arrested. So he tries as hard as he can to verify the details of what's happening. But the regime really, really quickly starts denying that anything's happened. And then all these journalists are trying to figure out exactly what's happening. But it's all really, really chaotic at this stage. So Sanjad then realises that this is really important and he calls a friend to go and check on it. He speaks to Massa's brother, Kiarash, who was there, and then puts Sajad in touch with them. Sajad then started posting on Twitter about what had happened. And then the news started filtering out. Street protests in Iran over the death of a woman in custody. Her name is Mahsa Amini, and she was just 22. On the 16th of September 2022, Mahsa Amini died after being arrested by the Iranian morality police. Her death sparked protests across the country. Chants like woman, life, freedom became cries of the movement. For many, it felt like the start of regime change. There are all marks that this is a new revolution in Iran, there's a new beginning in Iran. But six months on from her death, there are still two narratives about what happened to Masa Amini. There's what the regime wants us to believe, and then there's what witnesses say. The authorities say she had a heart condition, but eyewitnesses say she was beaten up in the police van. And today, we go behind the scenes of a Sunday Times investigation into the most comprehensive account yet of her final days. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. 
I'm Jenny Kleeman. Today, uncovering the truth, the killing of Masa Amini. My name's Louise Callahan, and I'm the Middle East correspondent for The Sunday Times. Louise, you've reported from Iran before. Tell us about your last visit there and what it's like as a woman, how you're expected to behave when you're in Tehran. Well, the last and only time I was in Iran was just as the pandemic was starting. So that was actually during Iranian parliamentary elections. And the regime had given me a three-day visa. They do that to journalists because they don't want them to come. So they'll really limit the amount of time that you can spend there. But on the third day that I was there, then all the flights closed because of the pandemic. So I was amazingly lucky and got stuck there for, I think, about three weeks to a month or something. And I really quickly learned what it is that all Iranian women know, which is that depending on where you're walking in the city, you can dress differently. So a lot of Iranian women walk around with their headscarf around their shoulders. And then when they see a green and white van, which is what the morality police have, then they pull it back up again when they're walking past. There's certain areas of the city that you know where they hang out. So you kind of automatically, even if you're in a taxi, you're going up to a certain roundabout, you'll pull your hijab up, you'll let it fall when you leave. And you haven't been back since. That was your first and only time there. Yeah, they don't seem really keen to have me back. I've applied for visas since. I've been rejected once. I'm very much hoping that I'll be able to go back again. But the Iranian regime have not been keen to have journalists come, especially since the, since the protest started. That meant that you had to report this story remotely and somehow get more truth than perhaps you would have got if you were within the country. Yeah, it's an incredibly difficult situation. I mean, you always think that on-the-ground reporting is the most important thing. If you can go to a place, you can speak to the people, you can really get a sense of how a story played out. Doing it remotely, especially with this language barrier and with the passage of time, is incredibly difficult. So Sajid and I just knew that we had to go back to basics. We went back to all of the original interviews, all of the original statements that he made and that were made by others at the time. We went through everything, started to construct a timeline of exactly what had happened around Massa's death. Then we tried to go back to all the people who had originally spoken, reach some more people who actually hadn't spoken out yet, and then try and add all that in together to build the most comprehensive picture so far of exactly how Massa Amini was killed. Tell us then about Massa Amini. Who was she? What happened to her? So she's 22 years old. She's from the Kurdish-majority city of Sakas, which is in the west of Iran. And she had been on holiday with her family, including her little brother, Kiarash, who's 18, in the north of Iran. As they were driving back, the family, her mum and her dad, her brother, stopped off in Tehran. They were going to do some shopping, see their relatives there. And in the city that they're from, there's fewer restrictions in some senses in terms of what women can wear and the morality police aren't on the streets in the same way. But Massa was dressed really conservatively. That's the thing. She's wearing a long black and white patterned cloak. She's got a black headscarf on and white trainers. And so they were just going out shopping for the afternoon. Why was she arrested? So as she left the metro station, she walked smack bang into the morality police and they stopped her and they said that she was dressed indecently. 
and that she would have to be taken to the police station for a hijab tutorial. What is the official version of events? The official version of events is that Massa was detained. She goes into the police station and is absolutely fine. The Iranian regime released this very cleverly edited video montage of CCTV from inside that police station, which shows her walking in, looking fine, walking around inside this main hall and then collapsing for seemingly no reason. And then they give the impression that very, very soon after there's medical help and she's taken to hospital where, unfortunately, it's shown that she died of a heart attack. And did people accept this official version of events at the time? She's a 22-year-old, otherwise healthy woman. Is she going to die of a heart attack? You know, so that's the question that people were asking. Her family were very clear. Massa had nothing wrong with her. So even though there is CCTV, which, as you say, may have been edited to suggest that she just walked into the police station and collapsed, people weren't buying it at the time. People absolutely weren't buying the regime's narrative, no. And I think that her death and the regime's quite half-hearted attempt to cover it up or say that she had a heart attack and the regime's attempts to tell a different story were just vilified. People were laughing at them. We spoke to seven witnesses who were inside that room and we were able to establish that that was not true. Let's go on now to what you've discovered about what happened. Tell us. So on the way to the police station, she's put into the back of the van. And then so she's with all these other detained women and some female morality police officers who are in the front of the van. And while she's on the way, Massa starts panicking. And we spoke to a witness who was inside this van. We had contact with her. And she explained for the first time in detail exactly what happened there. So Massa started panicking. She was saying, I'm not from the city. I don't know anyone here. My brother's waiting for me. He doesn't know where I am. And she made her try and stand up. And one of these women grabbed hold of her, tried to make her sit down. And the other one rushed over and started beating Massa around the head. Now, we don't know if she used a weapon or whether she hit her head off something or exactly what happened. But we know that afterwards Massa went quiet and she sat with her head in her hands. When they arrived at the station, you can see in footage released by the regime that the women who were in the van walk up the stairs into the main hall, into the waiting room, where there's about 50, 60 women there. And they're all waiting to, you know, have a talking to and then eventually sign their release papers that will allow them to leave. And as we've heard, that same CCTV footage released by the authorities then shows Masa Amini collapsing inside the police station. So after Massa collapsed, then the female morality police officers who were in the room did nothing. It was the other detained women who said, look, there's something happening. They rushed over. They tried to help her. They tried to ask for medical help. One of the women that we spoke to said that Massa was immediately unconscious. Her eyes weren't responding. She wasn't speaking. She was cold. She was deathly white. And the morality police female officers, they mocked Massa and they mocked the women for asking for help. One of them went on a microphone and shouted out, oh, we've seen a lot of these Bollywood acts before, giving the impression that they were sort of being dramatic and hysterical and pretending to faint all over the place like they were in a Bollywood film. And the women were begging them. We spoke to witnesses 
who said, well, you know, we're just desperately asking, please call an ambulance, do something. And they just, I mean, they were just, they were just mocking them. They weren't interested in hearing. After at least half an hour, then some kind of medics who work in the station turned up. It's, it's unclear exactly how trained they were. We know that they checked her pulse. They lifted her legs up, so presumably they thought she'd fainted rather than realising that she's completely unconscious. Unbelievably, it took 45 minutes from when Massa collapsed until an ambulance was called. 45 minutes. When the ambulance arrived, they did CPR and took her into the ambulance and, and took her to the hospital. And one of the witnesses, one of the women you spoke to, was then released. What did she see outside? What did she encounter outside? So the family members waiting outside, when they heard the screams from inside after Massa collapsed, when the women were pleading for help, they then started demanding at the people waiting at the door, you know, what's happening? We need to know what's happening. Please help. And uh, the police officers had responded by hitting them with batons and spraying them with pepper spray, trying to disperse the crowd. It was the scene of complete chaos. No one seemed to understand what was going on. People were asking, you know, what happened? What, who was this woman who collapsed? What did she look like? Waiting outside at this time is also Massa's brother, Kiarash. And he's asking and asking. He's trying to figure out, you know, is that my sister who went out in the ambulance? And eventually he shows a photo to one woman who was released and she said, yeah, that was her. And the officers there knew that this was a potentially explosive situation. They did their best to try and destroy evidence. They did a number of things. They took a bag of clothes that one of the witnesses believes belonged to Massa and threw it into the road and said, take this, take what you want. They also tried to pretend that it was one of their own, one of their own officers that had been taken away in the ambulance. Some of the officers also went through detainees' phones, didn't they? When the women were detained, most of them had had their phones taken off them, but a few had managed to hide them away. And they were trying to secretly record what was happening. And they said, we're going to go through all of your phones and delete every single thing. And all of the women who were released before they were allowed to leave... They went through their phones, they went through everything, they searched them in detail to try and make sure that not a word of this got out. So not only have you spoken to witnesses, you've corroborated what they've told you, their accounts, with hospital records. What do those records show? The hospital records show several different things, and that's the problem with it. So they show that Massa was taken to the hospital at 830 about an hour and a quarter after she collapsed. However, her patient notes show that she died of a heart attack. They show that there was no damage at all to her body and that there were no physical injuries at all. But the thing is, that's not what any of the witnesses say and that's not what her family who saw her in the hospital say. And that's not where you can see in a photo of her from the hospital where her head's swaddled in bandages and blood's leaking from one ear. So there's two different stories being told. And that's what made this a very, very challenging story to report is that you have to look at everything from every possible angle and try and assess, would the hospital be lying? Which of these 10 things can we believe? You mentioned Master's brother and... You and Sajid spoke to him about what happened that night. What does he remember? 
So Sajed spoke to him several different times from almost the day or two after he arrived in hospital and in the days following that. And he's only 18 years old and he didn't know the city at all. His sister was just taken away from him and then he had to go and find her in the hospital. People were lying to him. It's obviously incredibly emotional. I can't overstate how brave he and the rest of her family are. They were under huge pressure from the security service not to say anything. And our interviews with him, you know, every sort of few sentences he says, oh, I better go, there's someone here trying to stop me. They were under huge, huge pressure not to speak out, but they did it anyway because they thought it was important and that people needed to know how their daughter died. So Marsa is lying in hospital. Sajid breaks the story and it goes viral. What happens next? What happens to Marsa? After two days of her family waiting by her bedside, of these news reports swirling around the world, Massa dies. She had a heart attack and they weren't able to restart her heart because there was no, no activity in her brain. She was brain dead. And as the news of her death comes out, then people start gathering outside the hospital. And then into the evening, then that's when you start seeing these videos, which have now been spreading for months. People in the streets of Tehran shouting, death to the dictator. The next day, she's buried in her hometown, and then the protests, they keep spreading. They keep growing, and despite the regime's attempt to stop them by killing protesters, by arresting people, by pumping out disinformation and false narratives, they keep growing. On Arba'in, the 40th day of mourning, tens of thousands flock to Masa Amini's grave. Human rights groups estimate at least 342 protesters have been killed in just two months. It's been four months since protests broke out in Iran. Both sides are hardening their positions. Neither side will give in. Louise, having sifted through so much detail of what happened to Marsa, what has shocked you the most? You know, the detail that's always going to stick in my mind, and that when I heard it, I was really, really shocked, is where the female morality police officer goes on the microphone when Massa's lying on the floor, completely unconscious and unresponsive, and says, stop acting like Bollywood actresses. I just thought that real kind of heartlessness, and especially as something to me really horrifying in the fact that they're women. This is women doing this to other women. The Islamic Republic, is, the regime is controlled by men, sure, but women are willing participants. Coming up, the mysterious poisonings of girls in Iranian schools. That's after the break. I'm David Charter. I'm the US editor of The Times and Sunday Times, based in Washington, D.C., it's been a crazy news agenda in America. In fact, we thought we'd catch a break after Trump, but it's been non-stop under Biden. And now the 2024 election process is really starting. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Please subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So... Masa Amni's death sparked these protests that we have seen worldwide. Why were these particular protests so significant? I think they're so significant because they have touched people, men, women, rich, poor, living in the countryside and cities. They're just so much more far-reaching than other protests that we've seen. In previous years, there have been big protests in Iran, but it's been mainly economically very disadvantaged people, And they've been in reaction to things like rises in the price of bread or petrol. Massa's death, it hit a nerve among men and women and among people who lived all over the country because Massa's just like any girl. Everyone in Iran knows someone like Massa and it could have been them. That's what people have told me so many times. Even older men and women I've spoken to or people have told me about, my Iranian friends have told me about their parents who've never felt invested in any of the protests that have taken place before. And now they think, well, actually, it could have been my child. And also, the fact that she is Kurdish is also a really important thing because it meant that it was very emotionally resonant in the Kurdish areas. So even though she was killed in Tehran, there was this real kind of emotional connection from that part of the country. So that meant that the spread of the protest just immediately had a really wide scope. It made global news. The world was watching for a long time. We're not hearing about the protests so much. Why is that? Are they still happening six months on? They're still happening, but they're on a much smaller scale. The return of a familiar chant. After weeks of calm, demonstrations in Iran have made a comeback. It marked 40 days since authorities publicly executed two men for their involvement in the protests. They're now more in response to individual acts of cruelty from the Islamic Republic. And also, of course, the regime does an incredible job in repressing news of protests and news of things that are happening. So their kind of information machine has also gone into overdrive. You talk about how these protests involved a huge variety of people and how some of the people were quite young. There were some quite young girls involved. In this video, filmed near the capital Tehran, Iranian schoolgirls, many without their heads covered, throw objects at a man and chase him away. We know that in recent months, Iranian schoolgirls have been in the news again. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, it's this incredibly opaque story about schoolgirls who've been poisoned. The shocking images of Iranian schoolgirls gasping for breath after possible gas attacks. First, we smelt gas in the classroom. Then one of the students became nauseous and dizzy. I feel pain in my chest, and when I walk, my legs shake a little. My entire body feels very numb, and so I can't walk. They happened in several different cities over a period of time. They are relatively widespread, but it's a bit unclear as to how much they're still going on. What is clear is that clearly they actually have been poisoned. So there's been really, really good reporting done on this, particularly by Iranian journalists who've spoken to many schoolgirls who had the same symptoms, and it does seem to have been a problem. And what has the regime said about these poisonings? Well, the regime has condemned the poisonings in the strongest terms. They've said they're going to hunt down whoever's responsible. Although the poisonings were first reported in November, Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, only addressed them in a statement last week. They must be condemned to severe punishments. It's a serious and unforgivable crime. There will be no amnesty for them. But his condemnation came after statements from other members of the government that played down the poisonings, including those from the Deputy Interior Minister, Majid Mirakmadi, whose department is overseeing the investigation. Over 99% of this is caused by stress, rumours and psychological war started particularly by hostile TV channels to create a troubled and stressful situation for students and their parents. The regime has said it's not them and that they're trying to find out who did it. It's very hard to calculate exactly who's behind it. Last Saturday, the state-run news agency IRNA reported that over 100 people had been arrested. Why would anyone target schoolgirls? Well, schoolgirls were some of the most, and remain, some of the most potent force behind these protests. They are. It's absolutely incredible how brave these girls are. I spoke to one 16-year-old girl a while ago who told me that before the protests, she'd been a bit of a geek and really shy, a bit scared all the time. But then when they started, she took her headscarf off. Her and her friends were, they were tearing down pictures of the of the supreme leader and shouting in the faces of their headmistress. It's just incredible. Some of my older friends, I was speaking to a journalist friend who's in her 40s. She was saying that every time she feels like giving up, she looks at these 16-year-old girls that are still risking their lives on the streets and says, no, I can't do this. So the schoolgirls and the images of, of these teenage girls taking off their hijabs and, and shouting at figures of authority and standing up to police, they've been this incredibly potent force in the protests. So I think there's a sense that they were targeted because of that, because they represent this idea of, of a new generation of youth in Tehran and across the country who are not going to stand for this. They're symbolically very powerful because they're being so defiant, but they also represent a potential future where people just will not take this anymore. Absolutely. And I think that when you talk to Iranians who've been protesting about what's going to happen, are these protests just going to fizzle out? I think, yeah, like absolutely the protests have decreased in intensity. But what everyone says is, you know, actually, we've started something that can't be stopped, even if it's not now, even if it's in a year or two or longer. A whole generation now of young people are going to grow up with the knowledge that actually mass protest is 
possible and like a level of change is possible and that the, the future might look different. So while there was this momentum six months ago embodied by all of those protesters defiantly going out on the streets, we shouldn't necessarily think that because the protests have died down, that means hopes of a revolution have. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that hope is very much still alive. I've been covering the Middle East for seven years now. And until these protests began, I had never, ever heard a word of hope from any of my contacts in Iran. They would just never. Every time there would be new protests, it would be the same sort of, yeah, people are angry now, but what's it really going to change? Or what's the point in fighting? I might just move abroad or this kind of thing. And now there is real hope. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, Jenny Kleeman, and my guest, Middle East correspondent for The Sunday Times, Louise Callahan. You can keep up to date with Louise's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. And if you're a subscriber, you can go online to find a step-by-step timeline of what happened to Masa Amini and learn more about Louise and Sajad's investigation in last Sunday's edition. The producer was Sam Chantarasak. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by Matthew Peaty. If you can, please leave us a review. It'll help others find us. See you again soon.